Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome, everyone. I am hoping you're having a great day to all of our listeners in the United States and around the world. You know, I appreciate so much all that you are doing to spread the news and to follow the show and subscribe to the podcast. You are helping me change lives every day of people with disabilities. And one of the people that influenced me so much is my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. How are you, Yoshiko? Keep leading on. You know, I have so many people to thank. I have to thank Highmark because they have been the lead sponsor of this show now for four years. They are such a great company, so dedicated to the lives of people with disabilities, and they employ a lot of people with disabilities. And around the world, thank you for the countries listening. Ireland, you're back on top, Ireland. Great listeners. I knew you'd be back on top. Ireland, everyone there, thank you so much for telling everyone to listen to the show. Great Patriots, you are right in that country. Well, I am very excited about the show today because, as you all know, I'm a woman living with epilepsy. So when it comes to that topic, I am all about it. And today we have the president and CEO and my friend of the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA, Peggy Beam Jelly, welcome to the show. Hi, Joyce. Thank you very much for having me, and um, happy Epilepsy Awareness Month. Yes, and you're kicking off so much that we're doing for Epilepsy Awareness Month. So thank you for being with us, uh, Peggy. And you know, I am very honored to serve as the chair of the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA. And I just want to tell all the listeners the success of this organization. So much of it is due to Peggy, her undying passion and commitment to the organization uh, is phenomenal. And Peggy, I know you are now, we are now, I should say, affiliated with the Epilepsy Alliance. Could you explain to our listeners what that means? I can, Joyce, and thank you for being so kind always. Um, The Epilepsy Alliance America is a national organization. Um, We are now a part of that national organization It is a group of local organizations that came together to provide support, care, services to those living with epilepsy. Um, The Epilepsy Alliance America I like to refer to as the group of folks who are sort of the boots on the ground providing training in the schools, support groups, things like emergency medications, summer camps, patient education, local conferences and workshops programs to help people right now who are living with seizures, providing that help in local communities, local neighborhoods. Um, organization was launched in uh, the summer of 2018 and uh, has uh, right now has eight state-based partners across the country 
um, representing over a million people who have epilepsy and is um, poised to grow um, now and, and accept new partners and organizations who have an interest in joining us. So I encourage folks to look us up online um, and, and visit the epilepsyallianceamerica.org and learn more about the programs that we provide and, and how to become a, a partner with the organization. Epilepsy Alliance. America. America. Dot, America. America.org. Yeah. Is that what you said? Okay. Yeah. Well, well, Peggy, right here in Pennsylvania, people can, of course, contribute directly to the association. What areas do you cover in Pennsylvania? So we cover 49 counties in western and central Pennsylvania. Um, for folks who are familiar with the Pennsylvania Department of Health regions, we cover all of um, the western regions in north, north and southwest uh, Pennsylvania and all of north and uh, south-central Pennsylvania. Um, basically, f- from the Susquehanna uh, west. So it's you know, 49 of Pennsylvania's 67 counties. And what is what is the website? Um, our website is www.eawcp.org. And could you repeat that one more time? Mm-hmm. www.eawcp.org. Okay, and why I wanted to point that out is if you are <laughs> in the areas we just described and you need help, uh, you should go to that website uh, because we have a qualified staff that will reach out to you. And if you're listening to the show today, you know, if you would make a donation, it would mean so much to me because I'm living with epilepsy and I see what children and adults are going through. Someone in my office just today had a seizure um, and, and, you know, we always say kiddingly, if you're going to have a seizure, this is the right company to have it at because everyone is so familiar with this because of me that it's more like, oh, choice, so-and-so is having a seizure and everyone wants to know, but no one freaks out because everyone is familiar with right. uh, epilepsy and seizures, but, you know, that's not the way it is. Everywhere, but I know a lot of people, maybe they need help with medication or, you know, with their children uh, Mm -hmm. or adults, uh, whatever it is. I just want you to encourage you to contact uh, the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA. And Peggy, you mentioned how, you know, this is Epilepsy Awareness Month, which it is. And yet, so many people do not know about epilepsy, which always amazes me that people are so unaware. Um, why do you think that is? And to that point, how many people live with epilepsy versus MS and Parkinson's, just for an example of what I'm talking about? So, Epilepsy, I think, is much more common than people realize. Um, one in 26 people, according to the Institutes of Medicine, one in 26 Americans will develop epilepsy at some point in their life. 
Um, statistics are always a little bit tough to kind of wrap your head around, but just to give you some comparison, um, epilepsy affects 3.4 million Americans. That's more than MS, Parkinson's, muscular dystrophy, and ALS combined. It's Actually, it's far more. If you, com- if you add up MS, Parkinson's, muscular dystrophy, and ALS combined, it's about 2.3 million Americans. Um, and epilepsy affects 3.4 million Americans. So um, although people talk a lot about some of those other conditions, and rightfully so they should, epilepsy actually is much more common and people just don't talk about it. And I, and I think some of that has to do with the stigma and I think some of it has to do with the fact that people have um, suffered from a, a lot of negative consequences as a result of having epilepsy and, and there's just historically been a lot of uh, negative myths associated with epilepsy and things like that. So their families have sort of discouraged them from talking about epilepsy and those kinds of things. So, you know, that blows my mind. When you think about that, mm-hmm. three million people, and yet it, it's as if the way people act, it's as if this is like the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. This is right. not right. that big. And I can only think why that is, of course, lack of understanding, because everyone thinks unless you have a convulsion, you, do, you know, you don't have uh, epilepsy. But I think it's also what you said. I think it's not telling. I think it's right. keeping it a secret. And mm-hmm. when you're keeping it a secret, then you don't want to advocate. You know, you don't want to get involved. And I think that is... Uh, also partly it, and then I guess stigma. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it, it, that is astonishing when you think about uh, about that. Uh, that's why, again, if you're listening to the show, make a donation. I don't care if it's $26. I don't care what it is, but make a donation today to Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA EAWCP.org. Um, so, Peggy, you have been the CEO for how long now? A little over five years. But you've been with the Epilepsy Association how long? About 26 years. 20, oh, how about that number? 26. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 26 yeah. years. So... I know, I'm sure, since you've been there so long, I can't imagine how much change has occurred. But could you, how have you seen it grow since, since 26 years ago? And how have you seen the changes in the reaction to epilepsy? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, when I first started working with epilepsy and first started working with this organization, there, we, we had about five staff people and we served basically the city of Pittsburgh and, and surrounding communities, um, you know, Washington, Green, Fayette, 
Westmoreland counties. Um, our reach was not particularly far. Um, and over the years, we've grown from a staff of five, basically centrally located here in Pittsburgh. We now have an office in the Harrisburg area. We have staff in the Altoona area. Um, we have folks um, who are not paid staff, but that we work with very closely in the Erie area. And we certainly serve the Erie, Pennsylvania area and are there a lot and serving 49 counties. Um, our list of programs has grown just exponentially. It's just been amazing. Um, we've added special events, fundraising. Um, so it's really been amazing to see the support that we've garnered from the community and, and from the families that have come to us to help us and support us over the years um, and, and, the, and the programs that are in place as a result of that support really from families and from parents and, and from folks who are affected by epilepsy. It's in the, in the corporate community in Pittsburgh, it's, it's just unbelievably supportive. So it's just been amazing. And, and really, even in terms of epilepsy as a medical condition, when I started working with folks 25, 26 years ago, there were maybe a handful of medications that doctors had available to them, and surgery was still pretty much unheard of. Um, so the treatment options that are available to patients today compared to 25 years ago is, there's just no comparison. I mean, there's been a tremendous number of medications introduced to the market. Surgery is fairly common now um, for patients. Patients no longer have to go through medication trial after trial after trial before they're referred for medication evaluate or for surgery evaluation, things like that. Um, we now have some surgical devices like the vagal nerve stimulator that are available to patients. So there's just no comparison in terms of the treatment options that are available for patients, that's for sure. So, yeah. I mean, it's I, I, like day I'm, and night. Yeah, and I remember the story Judy used to tell me, the former CEO, about you had to send browned envelopes. Is that true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I first started, people people would call and they would want information, but then they would say, but please don't put your return address on it. They didn't even want the mailman to know that somebody in their home might have epilepsy. So they would call us and ask us to send them information. And, of course, 25 years ago, we didn't have this great thing called the Internet in every home and on every phone, and <laughs> we didn't have smartphones. And So people would call, and they would want us to send them brochures and information, but they did not want our return address to say epilepsy on the outside of the envelope. They didn't even want the mailman to know. Can you imagine? And of course, that? back then, doctors doctors would say to patients, you know, don't, you know, this is what's happening. Your son's having seizures. Your daughter's having seizures. Now, don't ever say the word epilepsy to anybody ever again. She'll never have a job. She'll never get insurance. She'll, you know, 
take this medicine and we're going to hope it's going to work. So even the medical community in those days didn't really help (laughs) in terms of the stigma because they would tell patients not to talk about it. Yeah. I I mean, when I first had my uh, recovered from brain surgery and I met the neurosurgeon, I said, oh, I'm so excited. I just want to thank you. You know, I I never dreamt that I had epilepsy. He said, don't say epilepsy. Don't say that. You don't have that. You have a seizure disorder. And I said, oh, okay. And that's what I said until I met Tony Coelho. And he said, don't say that. You have epilepsy. (laughs) And you know what? They would tell it. People would tell everyone that because they felt it didn't sound you know, as bad as saying the word epilepsy. It, 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 that's true. I mean, it is amazing how that was over the years. And so much has changed with the medication. Um, so here we are today. We've been talking about the changes. But in reference to epilepsy, Peggy, do you still believe uh, stigma exists today? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I've always, I've always struggled, Joyce, with exactly why that is. And, and, and really, I think when I try to study that issue and, and read about that issue, and, you know, stigma is really just a way for society or, or a way for people to kind of target somebody as an outsider, right? And I think it's really difficult for people who have seizures and who have epilepsy because although from a scientific perspective, we've made these huge strides in epilepsy. We have new treatments. We have new surgical strategies. And and so it feels in many respects like there have been all these advances in epilepsy, but really it's a, you know, epilepsy is very much a spectrum disorder. And even though we've had all these advances, when you really question patients and when you really survey patients, what you find is that a vast majority of patients are still having seizures. They might not be having seizures daily, and maybe they're not even having them a lot or what you or I might not consider a lot. But even if you're only having one seizure a month or one or two a year, that means you don't have a driver's license. And so if you don't have a driver's license in a community, in in a vast majority of the communities in western Pennsylvania, for example, your employment options are very, very limited. And so... You know, so in addition to having this condition called epilepsy and maybe probably also having to limit some of your activities, um, maybe having some side effects that um, limit how, you know, how you live your life, um, how you react to some things. You know, maybe you can't be around strobe lights, things like that. Maybe you don't get to go to the same concerts your friends go to, that kind of thing. You also now are limited in terms of your economic status. 
which is another way to make you an outsider because, you know, let's face it, your economic status, the more money you have, the more acceptable you're probably going to be in most of our communities. And around the world, there are some countries that even if you just have a diagnosis of epilepsy, you can't have a driver's license at all, even if your seizures are controlled. So, you know, having those, those are all things that kind of shake a person's confidence and, you know, that I think that those things just kind of build on one another. And although physicians, I think, try very hard from a clinical perspective to, to address seizure control, I think that's not enough. I think we need to address all those social issues as well. And I think we're not doing a very good job of, frankly, dealing with all those social issues and, you know, and helping patients deal with all those social issues. And that's where some of the stigma comes from. Because, you yeah. know, they've just been, you know, this, you know, building blocks of things that make them different from everybody else in their community. And we're not giving people the right kind of coping tools. You know what? That makes so much sense, Peggy. You know, even just hearing talking about driving and people feeling ashamed and embarrassed. Uh, oh, I can't take this person out on a date or going to work, you know, getting a job. I mean, there is so right. much involved that it just sort of tears down the person's confidence, you know? Yeah. It really yeah. does. And, yeah, we need to yeah. do something uh, about that. So I agree with you 100%. And that is one great thing that we do at the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA. I also want to add to that, parents, do not do this thing when the person's a child saying, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Because what you're really saying is there's something wrong with you. You know, right. you're, right. you're, right. you're right. inferior. Um, right. I can see if the person would go on an interview, I always tell people, no, you do not need to s- disclose you have epilepsy or any disability until you get the job offer. And you still don't have to after that. But once you have the job offer, if for some reason you want to tell the immediate supervisor, hey, look, I have epilepsy and this is what happens, fine. But never, ever before you receive the job offer. And do you know what I mean, Peggy, about how some parents talk to their children? Absolutely. And, and, and I am sometimes horrified by the way parents talk in front of their children. Um, I don't think they do it necessarily knowingly or intentionally, but um, sometimes I hear parents talk and I think to myself, are you aware of the fact that your child is standing two feet away from you and is hearing everything you're saying? I mean... It's people really need to think about what they're saying and and the impact that it it will have, um, particularly on on teenagers. I think. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah. So so anything that we can do to help 
young people become better advocates and, and become a little bit more assertive and become a little bit more self-confident. We, we really try to work on those programs. But it's tough getting young people involved, <laughs> for sure. Um, it's a, you know, adolescence is a tough, tough age to begin with, but, um, you know, you add all of those things on top of it. And, and of course, social media is, is a whole nother layer of difficulty on top of all of that. So, um, <clears throat> but it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, everybody's struggling with that all the time. So, um, I, I just, I feel like it takes more than, uh, you know, the the Facebook posters with positive things on them for young people. I think they need skills, and I think they need um, training, and I, and I think they need some hands-on opportunities to, to spend time practicing skills and things like that. So um, yeah. we try to do some of that a couple times a year. Because with that stigma, with that isolation, also comes isolation from employment. Um, So, hey, before we get ready for our news break, I just want to say, because someone asked me this question, anyone listening to the show today, if you have a topic or a guest that you would like me to have on the show, just send me an email, jbender at benderconsult.com or voiceamerica.com. But I am happy to hear what you have to say, Jay Bender at BenderConsult.com. And don't forget, if you wish there was someone with epilepsy or a young person or a parent and you're thinking, oh, I wish they could hear this show, it's on demand. Go to Apple or Spotify, put in Disability Matters with Joyce Bender on VoiceAmerica.com and that podcast will come up and you can subscribe to it. So, With that, it's time for our news break on the half hour, Advocacy Matters, with Perry Jude Radisic. Perry, welcome. Hey, welcome. Uh, Thanks, Joyce. Uh, Appreciate being here with you today. Oh, well, it's always great to have you. Um, What are you going to talk about today, Perry? Well, the Fair Housing Act, uh, Joyce, it's been in the news. I want to take us back to 1988. And many of your listeners, including yourself, uh, worked on the Fair Housing Amendments Act of 1988. And that's when Congress extended the Federal Fair Housing Act to protect people with disabilities against housing-related discrimination. And if you're new to disability rights policy, and you want to learn more information about the Federal Fair Housing Act and what it does, we have a short fact sheet on this law on our website at disabilityrightspa.org. We have a resources page, and if you click on housing, we have lots of resources there, including a fact sheet just on the Federal Fair Housing Act. So the law protects people with disabilities against housing discrimination, And so the other benefit of the law is that we can file complaints of housing discrimination with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or there are state and local agencies who are authorized to handle federal complaints of housing discrimination under the Fair Housing Act. 
we also have a fact sheet on how you can file these complaints uh, on our website at disabilityrightspa.org. So what's in the news about the Fair Housing Act? Well, on November 1st, the National Fair Housing Alliance released a report, and they reviewed all the federal housing discrimination complaints that were filed in 2018. We also have a link to this very report that was issued about all the federal housing discrimination complaints filed in 2018. And this is what they found. Housing complaints were up nationally. In fact, they were up 8% over 2017. Yeah. The number actually is 31,202 complaints filed nationally. And this was the highest number since they've been tracking complaints in 1995. Lots of housing discrimination complaints. That the is amazing. The number one complaint, yeah, amazing. The number one complaint, though, Joyce, is complaints based on disability. Unbelievable. 56.33% of all cases filed in 2018 under the Fair Housing Act were complaints on the basis of disability. Now, could you give us an example? Like, what would that be? Many of the complaints are related to reasonable accommodations or modifications, and the other big category is accessibility. Horrifying. So it... It is. So, and, and, you know, here we are. So the law was passed in 1988. Providers of housing, apartment complexes, the builders know there's a law, and yet we still have housing discrimination going on across the country. So with advocacy matters, there are two points here. It's important that we act to keep protecting laws like the Fair Housing Act because we fought hard to make sure that law was in place for us. The second point is we have to keep educating our community about the law and how to remedy discrimination when it happens. So visit our website at disabilityrightspa.org, look at the fact sheet on the Fair Housing Act, and make sure you know how to file that complaint if you believe housing discrimination has happened to you. Okay, would you tell them again how to do that? Yes, go to our website at disabilityrightspa.org and you'll find the uh, Advocacy Matters segment on our homepage. Uh, And it's on there right now. Click on that segment and you'll find the links to the fair housing report that I talked about today. You can read all about all of the housing complaints filed in 2018. You can also go and find the fact sheet on the Fair Housing Act and then find out all you need to know about how to file a a complaint of discrimination with housing and urban development. Yeah, I just want to say, here we are, you know, we're telling people, We want to help them get jobs. And I have to tell you, this happened to us more than one time 
in uh, the Pittsburgh area where we had to search everywhere to make sure it was accessible, you know, for a person with a disability. And think about that. I finally have a job and now I have to deal with all of these issues. And um, I also want to say, Perry, that Perry Jude Radisick is a national disability rights leader. We are so lucky to have her here in Pennsylvania, and I am so honored to be on this board. So you've got to follow what we're doing. You've got to go to that website because Perry Jude has information out there for every single show that we have. And uh, Perry, I can't thank you enough. And I urge everyone to remember how important this is. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Hey, thanks, Joyce. Take care. All right. Wow. Peggy, isn't that unbelievable? Unbelievable. Just incredible. Just incredible. I mean, how? That's so terrible. How is this possible? Uh, Well, Peggy, we do a lot for a lot of people, but that includes young people with epilepsy. What do you do to service young people with epilepsy? So, I have to get my bearings back after that. (laughs) So, um, we do a number of things. We have, um, first of all, you know, our cornerstone program for young people is our school education program, Joyce, which everybody loves, and we have... uh, Actually, the organization has over 30 years of experience educating school nurses and teachers and, and kids in classrooms, and um, our Project School Air program is, is really exceptional, and, and literally we educate thousands and thousands of uh, folks in Pennsylvania schools every year. So um, anybody, at least in Pennsylvania or nearby, who needs help educating anybody in the school should definitely be in touch with us. Um, it's just a fabulous program. We also give families a lot of information if their children need any kind of special accommodation or involvement with special education from evaluation through um, developing an IEP and individual education plan um, due process, the whole, whole nine yards. So the school program is very, very strong. Um, it's, kids get into the adolescent age um, and they start to become more independent. We really work hard with them to do two things. I mentioned the um, advocacy training that we do. Once a year we take, typically it's a fairly small group um, of uh, high school age um, youngsters away for the weekend, and they work on their advocacy skills training, and then they come with us to our state capitol um, and um, participate in a public policy program with us, with families and, and other advocates from across the state, and, and do some visits. That is, has really been a great program for us. Um, it really helps to bolster their, their confidence. It helps them learn how to tell their story. Um, it helps them learn how to communicate their needs. It helps them learn how to um, sort of get a better understanding of the fact that self-advocacy is a good thing and that they have a right to advocate for themselves and for their rights and that sort of thing. 
Um, we have also in recent years done um, a pretty significant amount of work in helping families and young folks take more control over their own health care and getting ready for the health care transition from pediatric to adult care, either from primary care to adult primary care and also from um, pediatric specialty care, neurological specialty care to adult specialty care. So um, those are the two big areas for um, young people that we've been working on recently. And then, of course, they all love our camp program. So we have two camp programs, one that is called Camp Frog, which happens there's two weeks during the summer that Camp Frog takes place. It's a pretty typical, although it's a fully integrated um, camping experience, overnight experience a week long, um, over two weeks in different parts of the state for kids who have seizures. We take extra counselors. We take a pediatric neurologist from Children's Hospital and an extra nurse with us. And then um, we two weekends, one in the fall and one in the spring, we have a different weekend. It's like a three-day weekend program for youngsters who have um, pretty complex medical profiles or behavioral profiles who probably would not be particularly successful in the traditional um, kind of YMCA overnight camping experience with 300 kids, but want to experience some time away from home. And um, frankly, mom and dad are a little bit more comfortable with like three nights away as opposed to five or six nights. So um, Camp Firefly is the weekend program, and it's sort of a good entree into um, the camping experience for a lot of kids. So, um, And then we have a high school scholarship program. We usually do about $12,000 a year in high school scholarships. Um, we've been doing that for about 12 years now, I think, 12 or 13 years. Um, and that's fabulous for the youngsters who are going on to some kind of um, post-high school education or training. Um, so those are the things that are really specifically targeted to um, like the teenage population themselves. We do lots of yeah. other things that help, but they're sort of more family-focused. Well, what about some of those? Uh, what What would you say are the key programs? And I think this is all great. I love everything you do for young people with epilepsy because that is so near and dear to my heart. Uh, but what are some of your other key programs? Um, so... Lots of what we do is centered around education. So we always sort of start with making sure that, you know, be it an adult who is calling, who's living with seizures, or a parent or a care per, a person taking care of someone who has seizures, that they have whatever information about epilepsy, seizures, um, treatments that they need. We do a lot of education. We do a lot of conferences, a lot of weekend conferences, those kinds of things. Um, and then we do a lot of, as I had said earlier, kind of supportive, neighborly 
kinds of things. Um, we have a program called Emma's Gift that is funded through um, a family that actually lost their child to sudden un- unexplained death and epilepsy. That is a program that provides movement monitors for um, family members who might be at risk of SUDEP um, so that it monitors their movements while they're sleeping. Um, We have a program to provide um, a seizure response dog to folks who have uncontrolled seizures and are struggling with independence, again, funded through a specific donor family. Um, who lost a son to epilepsy, um, which is fairly recent. The board of directors established um, uh, in the last five years um, a respite care program for families who just maybe need a break, um, who are caring for either a child or an adult who has uncontrolled epilepsy um, to pay for skilled nursing care, either an LPN or an RN, um, for 25 or 30 hours of skilled nursing care services for a loved one, um, that they can do whatever it is they need to do. Um, A lot of respite care services um, require the recipient family to use that time to go to work or um, they have to use it to go to school or to go to health care. You know, our program... If, you know, if mom wants to go get her nails and her hair done for five hours, that's okay with us. <laughs> or, you know, we talk to a lot of families that, um, you know, like they. One of the one of my favorite stories with the respite care program is that one of the first families that we served through that program when it was established is a family that we've worked with for many many years, and after they had exhausted their 30 hours or so for the year. The mom called me to tell me how important that program had been to them that year. And it had, it turned out that it was um, their son's senior year of high school. They have an older daughter who is the child who has um, uncontrolled epilepsy. And she said that they used their time that spring to attend all of their son's like honor programs and graduations and um, honors convocations and those kinds of things. And she told me that it was the only time in his entire 12 years of school that both of his parents were able to attend his programs at school. That the entire, his whole academic career, they had been choosing, you know, Will you go to the basketball game this week and I'll stay home? You know, I'll go to the basketball game. You stay home. Like, you go to the parent-teacher conference, I'll stay home. For 11 years. And that, you know, because we had this program his senior year of high school, they finally had a chance to both go to everything. Wow. So that's that's my favorite respite care program story. Um. So, you know, we... we and and you know, that, would be some, that would be so many people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And people just need a break. I mean, people need to have a chance to take care of themselves. Um, so that, you know, I mean, those are the kinds of things, you know, 
those are the kinds of things that we're, we exist for that. We're here to find out from people what is it that you need, what can we do. You know, I like to say to people, not that people are in crisis all the time, but, you know, when people are having a difficult time or when people are facing a challenge or a struggle of some sort, neighbors and friends and the folks at church and the people around you will often say to you, like, if there's something I can do, please just let me know. But it's, it's oftentimes very difficult for the person who needs help to say that, to the, say to the person, well, this is what I need, or what, do you know what I'm saying? Like, wh- that's what we try to do when pe- somebody calls here. We try to figure out what is it that you really need and then provide it. So it can be very different for each person. Um, you know, for one person, you know, we've, we've encountered many people who are just in between jobs and lost their health insurance, and what they really needed from us was just help to pay for their medicine for a month. And so that's what we do. We have an emergency medication program, and we help pay for their medicine for a month Um, because a lot of people don't really have any concept of how expensive epilepsy medicines are until they lose their insurance, Um, and they can cost thousands of dollars in a month. So um, if, if people do have a job, you know, and they've got insurance and then all of a sudden for some reason they lose their insurance, then suddenly they're like, how am I going to pay for my child's medicine? You know, they're making a decision. Do I pay the mortgage or do I pay for this medicine? It's, they're heart-wrenching decisions sometimes. So, which can, you know, which we're can here be to, so expensive, as you yeah. said. Yeah, absolutely. They're several thousand dollars sometimes just for a month. So we're, you know, we're here to try to, again, boots on the ground. What can we do to help you out, bolster you, give you a lending hand, um, you know, rough out the, you know, smooth out the rough spots a little bit. Um, That's, you know, our, our programs are all sort of, hopefully geared towards that. And and then we do really what I'm sure on the surface looks like a lot of really fun things, um, but are really designed to bring people together around their peers um, so that they can lend support to one another. So we do a lot of things that are fun, but in the course of having fun with one another, you will find that moms are hanging around with moms and Siblings are hanging around with other siblings, talking and sharing, and, you know, kids who have epilepsy are talking with other kids who have epilepsy and that kind of thing. And sometimes grandmas are there with other grandmas, and um, so the whole family can come to the events, and nobody's deciding who's coming and who's staying home. And so we do picnics in the summer and those those sorts of things. And um, this weekend we have a donor family that has a special fund um, where they just they just only want to do fun things, so they're they're doing a um, an event this weekend. Um, they rented out a private theater and they're doing a showing for um, for kids of the new Frozen movie. So oh, they'll that have is some awesome! Yeah, so they'll have some time together before the movie, and they'll have a little bit of time after the movie, and and um, and. Um, so, as I said, you know, they'll they'll get to connect with, we'll do some peer support at the same time, so. 
Well, you know, speaking of things we do to help people, when I first thing I did, because I very recently became chair, is I told Peggy I wanted to meet with families that have lost children to SUDEP, sudden unexplained death in epilepsy. And uh, first of all, you know, it's so terrible. You have a child, you think everything's fine, and you find your seven-year-old boy or girl dead the next morning from SUDEP. Uh, this is where someone loses their life. It's unexpected. Uh, you know, the, it's not a clear cause, but it's caused by epilepsy. So I wanted to meet this family, these families, because like they all give so much back. They donate some, so much to, you know, to our uh, organization. Yeah. And I, I, I'm thinking, well, I got to meet them. How can they be like this? Because many people... You know, if that happened to them, they wouldn't want anything to do with epilepsy at all. So we right. had din- we had a dinner, and I'm telling you, it was oh, it was hard to take, and yet <laughs> inspirational. These mm-hmm. families and many families, as they told us, I'll never forget this one story when this mother said, why didn't you, to the doctor, why didn't you ever tell us about SUDEP? And the answer was, because it would could ruin your quality of life thinking about this. And she said, quality of life, what about now? Right. Right. And I thought, wow, that is so true, so powerful, but so true. So, if you're listening to the show, I just want you to know um, you have a child with epilepsy or a young adult, uh, you need to know about SUDEP, S-U-D-E-P, uh, and is that somewhere on our website, Peggy? Yes, we have on our website, we have um, the Mason Langford Center uh, for SUDEP support, um, so they can go to our webpage, which again is www.eawcp.org, and um, right across the top you'll see uh, uh, um, in white letters a little thing that says about SUDEP, about S-U-D-E-P, and you can just click on that, and that will take you to Mason's page, and it'll tell you all about SUDEP and um, take you to some other resources and some other, you see Mason's stories. And if you, you know, scroll down to the bottom, there's other links to um, a resource library and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, lots and lots of information. Well, Peggy, I'm going to leave on a very good note, and that is the Mardi Gras. The Mardi Gras in 2020, which is hands down the best gala anywhere in the city of Pittsburgh uh, or or surrounding area. I mean, it is phenomenal. And what is the date this year? Uh, February Tuesday, February 25th. Okay, Tuesday, February 25th. It's sold out every year. I should tell you that now. So if you want to buy a table and you're interested, you've got to get in touch today with Peggy. Talk to your company. Get to the 
uh, Epilepsy Association, uh, Western Central PA dot org. So that is E A W C P dot org. And when you go there, you know you can get in touch with Peggy or uh, the the queen of the Mardi Gras, Colleen Fulkerson. But uh-huh. you've got to do this now. You've got to do it now. People come up to me, oh, can we get a table? I say, no, it's like sold out. Peggy, am I right that it gets sold out it early? It does, it does, it does, absolutely. And we would love for folks to get in touch. There's information on the website as well. Um, but, yeah, absolutely, give us a call or uh, get on the website, send us an email, and Colleen would love to talk with folks um, about the Mardi Gras and um, have you join us. It is a fun, fun time. Oh, from all of those balloons to chocolate martinis to everything. (laughs) I mean, everything. It is so festive. I've never had one person attend uh, that said to me, wow, this is amazing. It really is a great time for, as you can see, a great cause. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the king The king of the Mardi Gras is Jeff Broadhurst over Parkhurst Dining and Eaton Park. And let me tell you what, I've been friends with him for a long time. He is an awesome person. He really is. His family was one of the first families that started hiring people with disabilities, Eaton Park and Giant Eagle. And they are just awesome, awesome family. Don't forget Mardi Gras, February 25th. Pittsburgh, don't miss it. Peggy, before we end, do you have a message you would like to leave with our listeners? My message for your listeners is to, if you are blessed enough to live in a community where you have the privilege and the right to vote, please register and vote. And if you need help, please find me on our website or call me and I will help you learn to do that. Oh, I second that. I tell my high school students with disabilities at the Bender Leadership Academy who can vote. Go register to vote. You know, you have the power to make a change. Don't let that go because there are many countries where people would love to be able to vote, but you can register today. And we end every show with a quote And today that quote is from Nathaniel Hawthorne. And I love this quote. Generosity is the flower of justice. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.